Chapter 21 of The Covered Wagon This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Covered Wagon by Emerson Howe Chapter 21 The Quicksands As Banyan and Jackson ended their part in the buffalo running and gave instructions to the wagon men, who followed to care for the meat, they found themselves at a distance of several miles from their starting point. They were deep into a high rolling plateau, where the going was more difficult than in the level, sunken valley of the Platte. Concluding that it would be easier to ride the two sides of the triangle than the one over which they had come, they headed for the valley at a sharp angle. As they rode, the keen eye of Jackson caught sight of a black object apparently struggling on the ground at the bottom of a little swale, which made down in a long ribbon of green. "'Look at yon!' he exclaimed. "'Some fellow's lost his buffalo, I expect. Let's ride down and put him out of his misery, afore the wolves does.' They swung off and rode for a time toward the strange object. Banyan pulled up. "'That's no buffalo!' That's a man and his horse. He's bogged down. You're right, Will, and bogged bad. I knew that light green slough grass to cover the worst sort of quicksand. She runs black sand under the mud. God knows how deep. You can't run a buffalo into it. He knows. Come on. They spurred down a half a mile of gentle slope, hard and firm underfoot, and halted at the edge of one of the strange man-traps which sometimes were found in the undrained plains. A slough of tall, coarse, waving grass, which undoubtedly got its moisture from some lower stratum. In places a small expanse of glistening black mud appeared, although for the most part the mask of innocent-looking grass covered all signs of danger. It was, in effect, the dreaded quickstand, the octopus of the plains, which covered from view more than one victim and left no discoverable trace. The rider had attempted to cross a narrow neck of the slough. His mount had begun to sink and flounder, had been urged forward until the danger was obvious. Then, too late, the rider had flung off and turned back, sinking until his feet and legs were gripped by the layer of deep, soft sand below. It was one of the rarest but most terrible accidents of the savage wilderness. Blackened by the mud which lay on the surface, his hat half buried, his arms beating convulsively as he threw himself forward again and again, the victim must in all likelihood soon have exhausted himself. The chill of night on the high plains soon would have done the rest, and by good fortune he might have died before meeting his entombment his horse, ere this had accepted fate, and ceasing the struggle, lay almost buried, his head and neck supported by a trembling bit of floating grass roots. Steady friend called out Banyan as he ran to the edge. Don't fight it. Spread out your arms and lie still. We'll get you out. Quick, my lariat, Jackson, and yours, he added. The scout was already freeing the saddle ropes. The two horses stood reins down, snorting at the terror before them, whose menace they now could sense. 
Take the horse, called Banyan. I'll get the man. He was coiling the thin, braided hide, Riata, soft as a glove and strong as steel, which always hung at the Spanish saddle. He cast and cast again, yet again, the loop at forty feet gone to nothing. The very silence of the victim nerved him to haste, and he stepped in knee-deep, finding only mud, the trickle of black sands being farther out. The rope sped once more, and fell within reach, and was caught. A sob or groan came, the first sound. Even then from the imprisoned animal beyond him came the terrifying sound, the scream of a horse in mortal terror. Jackson's rope fell short. Get the rope under your arms, called Banyan, to the blackened, sodden figure before him. Slowly, feebly, his order was obeyed. With much effort, the victim got the loop below one arm, across a shoulder, and then paused. Your rope, quick, Bill. Jackson hurried, and they joined the ends of the two ropes. Not my horse, he's wild. Dally on your own saddle, Bill, and go slow, or you'll tear his head off. The scout's pony, held by the head, and back slowly, squatted to its haunches, snorting, but heaving strongly. The head of the victim was drawn oddly toward his shoulder by the loop. But slowly, silently, his hands clutching at the rope, his body began to rise, to slip forward. Banyan, deep as he dared, at last caught him by the collar, turned up his face. He was safe. Jackson heard the rescuer's deep exclamation, but was busy. Cast free, Will, cast free, quick, and I'll try for the horse. He did try with the lengthened rope, cast after cast, paying little attention to the work of Banyan, who dragged out his man and bent over him as he lay motionless on the safe edge of the treacherous sunken sands which still half buried him. No use, exclaimed the older man. He ran to his saddle and got his deadly double barrel, then stepped as close as possible to the sinking animal as he could. There came a roar. The head of the horse dropped flat, began to sink. Poor critter, muttered the old man, capping his reloaded gun. He now hastened to aid Banyan. The latter turned a set face toward him and pointed. The rescued man had opened his eyes. He reached now convulsively for a tuft of grass. Paused, stared. It's Sam Woodhall, ejaculated the scout. Then suddenly, get away, Will, move back. Banyan looked over his shoulder as he stood, his own hands and arms, his clothing black with mire. The old man's gray eyes was like a strange gem, gleaming at the far end of the deadly double tube, which was leveled directly at the prostrate man's forehead. No Banyan's call was quick and imperative. He flung up a hand, stepped between. No, you'd kill him now. With a curse, Jackson flung his gun from him, began to recoil the muddied ropes. At length, without a word, he came to Banyan's side. He reached down, caught an arm, helped Banyan drag the man out on the grass. He caught a handful of the herbage and thrust it out the woodhill, who remained silent before what seemed his certain fate. Wipe off your face, you skunk, said the scout. Then he seated himself, morosely, hands before knees. 
Will Banion said he, you're a fool. A natural-born, congenial, ingrained damn fool. You're flying in the face of Providence, which planted this critter right here for us, to leave where no one ever be the wiser, and where he couldn't never do no more devilment. You idiot, leave me kill him, if you're too chicken-hearted yourself, or leave us throw him back in again. Banion would not speak at first, though his eyes never left Woodhall's streaked, ghastly face. By God, said he slowly, at length, if we hadn't joined Scott and climbed Chapultepec together, I'd kill you like a dog right here. Shall I give you one more chance to square things for me? You know what I mean. Will you promise? Promise, broke in Jackson, you damn fool. Would you believe any promise he made even now? I tell you, boy, he'll murder you the first chance he gets. He tried it one night of four. Leave me cut his throat, Will. You'll never be safe until I do. Leave me cut his throat, or kill him with a rock. It's only right. Banion shook his head. No, he said slowly, I couldn't, and you must not. Do you promise, he repeated to the helpless man, get up, stand up. Do you promise, will you swear? Swear hell. Jackson also rose as Woodhull staggered to his feet. You know this man ought to kill you, and you sneaked it, didn't you? Where's your gun? There, Woodhull nodded to the bog, over which no object now showed. I'm helpless. I'll promise. I'll swear. Then will not sound the no-quarter charge that you and I have heard. The Spanish trumpets blow. You will remember the shoulder of a man who fought with you. You'll do what you can now, at any cost. What cost? demanded Woodhull thickly. Banion's own white teeth showed as he smiled. What difference, said he, what odds? That's it. Again Jackson cut in, inexorable. It's no difference to him what he swears. It he'd bargain even now. It's about the gal. Hush, said Banion sternly, not another word. Figure on what it means to you. He turned to Woodhull. I know what it means to me. I've got to have my own last chance, Woodhull and I'm saving you for that only. Is your last chance now as good as mine? This isn't mercy. I'm trading now. You know what I mean. Woodhall had freed his face of the mud as well as he could. He walked away, stopped at a trickle of water to wash himself. Jackson quietly rose and kicked the shotgun back further from the edge. Woodhall now was near to Banyan's horse, which, after his fashion, always came and stood close to its master. The butts of the two dragoon revolvers showed in their holsters at the saddle. When he rose from the muddy margin, shaking his hands to dry them, he walked toward the horse. With a sudden leap, without a word, he sprang beyond the horse with a swift clutch at both revolvers, all done with a cat-like quickness not to have been predicted. He stood clear of the plunging horses, both weapons leveled, covering his two rescuers. Even her now, his teeth bared, promise me. Jackson's deep curse was his answer. Banion rose, his arms folded. You're a liar and a coward, Sam, said he. Shoot if you've got the nerve. Incredible, yet the man was a natural murderer. His eyes narrowed. There came a swift motion. 
a double empty click. Try again, Sam, said Banion, taunting him. Bad luck. You landed on an empty. He did try again, swift as an adder. His hands flung first one and then the other weapon into action. Click after click. No more. Jackson sat dumb, expecting death. They're all empty, Sam, said Banion at last, as the murderer cast down the revolvers and stood with spread hands. For the first time, I didn't reload. I didn't think I needed them. You can't blame me, broke out Woodhall. You said it was no quarter. Isn't a prisoner justified in trying to escape? You've not escaped, said Banion coldly now. Rope him, Jackson. The thin, soft hide cord fell around the man's neck, tightened. Now, shrilled Jackson, I'll give you a dog's death. He sprang to the side of the black Spaniard, who by training had settled back, tightening the rope. End of chapter 21 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Real Medina, Texas